I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. From Decrypt Media, this is the Decrypt Daily, and my name is Matthew Diemer. Today on the show, we have our week in review. And that's today on the Decrypt Daily. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the show. Today is Friday, October 22nd, 2021. So I asked that question a couple days ago. What would you do with 100 Bitcoin? And, you know, I got more replies yesterday, and I want to read those to you. The first one comes from Patrick. And Patrick says, I can't even fathom answering your if I had 100 Bitcoin question, but now I found myself almost afraid of this bull run, which means I must be over leveraged. To celebrate my 35th birthday in a couple weeks, I'm going to sell a quarter of my crypto, which will allow me to pay off half my total life debt. Madness. While there's no Lambo in my future with this method, after a solid year and a half of hodling on to Celsius, it's time to celebrate the wins. I can no longer think about how much money I could miss out on if I landed on the moon, but instead focus on what I will feel like to tell my family I just paid off my credit card, medical bills, and half my student loans off believing that blockchain technology is for the people. Damn, Patrick, congratulations. I mean, paying off medical bills, your half your student loans, your credit card, and that's only with a quarter of your crypto? I think you should just go ahead and pay off the rest of those student loans. But, you know, I'm not giving financial advice here. But anyway, that is just absolutely amazing. Next one came from Mark. Mark said, 100 Bitcoins is a life-changing amount of money, but I would push it until I had $250 million before I actually made making lifestyle changes. $250 million? You'd push it to $250 million? It's a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit a lot. No, Mark? <laughs> anyway, Mark continues to say, near term, I love my life, so I'd pay off my house. Cut back to working three days in my current job and then invest the rest into e-gold. I'll buy into the Meyer Exchange liquidity pool with my coins and rake in huge returns for the remainder of my life. When I got to $250 million, I'd buy houses at a couple of Discovery Land sites, Yellowstone Club, Driftwood, and so on, and go back and forth seasonally while traveling. Thank you, Mark, for that answer. Really cool to hear what people would do with 100 Bitcoin. It's always good to dream big, right? It's always good to dream big. But what is really cool to hear is what people are doing with their crypto gains or any profits that they're making. If you are making profits and those profits are changing your life for the better, please email me, Matthew Aaron at decrypt.co. I want to spread more good news. There's a lot of news and there's a lot of bad news out there. There's a lot of depressing news. Every time you turn on the news, it's depressing. But Patrick just said he's paying off his debts. Tell me what you're doing. If you're doing something positive, email me, Matthew Aaron at decrypt.co. I want to share the good news. Now to those crypto prices. And I'm recording this at 10.44 Eastern Standard Time. Bitcoin is in at $61,502, down 3.7% in 24 hours. Ethereum, $4,014, down 2.8%. Binance Coin, $482, up a percent. Cardano, $2.15, down 2.5%. And Tether in the number 5 spot. Running off the top 10, Solana, XRP, Polkadot, USDC, and Dogecoin. Total market cap, we're at $2.54 trillion. A BTC dominance of 45.8% and an F dominance of 18.7. And now, coin of the day. Our coin of the day today is Tokamak, 
Tokamak Network, ranked number 763 on CoinMarketCap. Its ticker is T-O-N, ton. And Tokamak is a weird word. I didn't know how to say it. So I had to go and start Googling this. And when I went down the rabbit hole, it's actually pretty cool. So Tokamak is a Russian acronym that comes from toroidal chamber with magnetic coils. And the Tokamak is the design, experimental design for fusion energy. You know, you want to try to make energy just like the sun. It'll be like lim- unlimited, uh, clean energy. And this is the word for the Russian design for their fusion reactor. Super cool. So I wasted half my morning watching YouTube videos on the Tokamak reactors. And well, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the crypto, which is trading at $8.88 today, up 3.7%. Total market cap for Tokamak or TON, T-O-N, is $24.2 million. Fully diluted market cap is $444 million, which means 5% a ton is in circulation. Where can you buy it? You can buy it on Bittrex, kind of. Its volume is only $360. You can buy it mostly on Upbit from ton to the Korean won. There's $105 million in volume on that exchange, but the next one is ton to BTC, $182,000, and then MEXC, which is $63,000 of volume there, but it's low confidence. So you only can get it really in one spot, which is up bit. So what is the Tokamak Network? Well, it's an on-demand Ethereum Layer 2 platform. Tokamak Network is a protocol platform for building and connecting Layer 2 networks. And they say this, here's our four little things that they mention. Easy layer two network deployment, layer two interoperability, higher security, and decentralized governance. So basically it's a Ethereum layer two platform. Tokamak, number 763 on CoinMarketCap, ticker T-O-N. And now, without further ado, our week in review. Scott Cipollina, how you doing? Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Matthew. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Look, this is a huge week in the crypto space. We have hit all-time highs. We have hit uh, landmark days because of the Bitcoin futures ETF. And we're going to talk about all of that plus some other things today on This Week in Review. First, sir, how are you feeling about the Bitcoin all-time high? Yeah, well, as you said, it was an ex- it's was it been an exciting week in crypto. Uh, the all-time high, um, has. I-, I think it's pretty safe to say that Positive sentiment sort of been driven around the ProShares Bitcoin strategy ETF that began trading earlier this week after it was announced that the SEC had had had, had given it approval to start trading on the New York Stock Exchange last Friday. Uh, and yeah, I think obviously we're going to discuss that in a little bit more depth, but that's certainly the biggest news story of the week. So let, let's talk about that in a little bit, little bit more depth, because um, I'm just trying to figure out why this is going to give Bitcoin a pump, because as we spoke last time and about, you know, the Bitcoin futures ETF, I think we were having a discussion ourselves about it um, the day it launched. Uh, it's not actually backed by Bitcoin. It's not trading Bitcoin. It's not. Uh, it's just the future of the price of Bitcoin. So why would this actually move the price in one way or the other? Correct. It's 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 an ETF, but it's not if we were going to be, um, you know, Precise about this, as we always are. This is not the ETF that everybody wanted, as you said. Um, it's not an ETF that is backed by the price of Bitcoin, but it's an ETF that allows investors access to contracts um, that will expose them to the future price of Bitcoin. That is to say, it's a futures ETF. Um, but nevertheless, it's still a, a big moment, I think, in the crypto industry because uh, Bitcoin advocates will will look at the news and say, "Well, this is." Um, perhaps a bit of a watershed moment, for want of a better phrase, because it shows that Bitcoin is, in their eyes at least, a, a legitimate asset that that is deserving of its place on, say, Wall Street and uh, its 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 place under regulatory scrutiny. So 
it's a big moment. And in terms of what it might do for, you know, the, the phrase that we always hear in crypto um, mainstream adoption, that there are some winners and losers, right? I think obviously ProShares is, is the obvious winner because they've got their they've got their hat in the ring first before anybody else. But then I think it's also important to point out that because this is a futures ETF and it is um, fairly complex financial instrument, I think it's the kind of thing that's going to appeal to experienced investors and institutions, more so, you know, the buttoned up type folks, not necessarily, you know, everyday retail investors. I think the jury is still out as to whether or not this is going to be the the truly watershed moment that it's being pegged to be. But nevertheless, it's obviously still very big news. Let me ask you about like price manipulation. And I'm not talking about price manipulation uh, for uh, the futures ETFs, but I'm wondering about Bitcoin since this is not pegged to Bitcoin. And if people are betting on in the future of the Bitcoin price, does that, and Bitcoin is not regulated like the same way as a ETF or a stock or a security. Um, actually, it's not regulated. Does this, you know, maybe put, give people opportunity to try to pump the price to make sure that these bets get to fruition? Um, is, do you think there could be a possible where people, where money is coming into the Bitcoin space or coming out of the Bitcoin space in a way to kind of, I guess, game the system? It's an interesting point. I think the, the, one of the things that's, that's quite telling about the fact that the SEC has approved the futures ETF first is that the SEC is already traditionally fairly comfortable with the futures market. It's regulated under the CTFC, so the Commodity Futures Trading Commission. Um, and I think that it's that the fact that this has happened first is is um, you know reflective of the fact that the SEC is worried chiefly about market manipulation in crypto. And I think that that has been something that they have individually required every ETF applicant to demonstrate that they can avoid. You know, to, to, to speak broadly on, on market manipulation, I think at least the powers that be, the SEC, are, are very concerned about that. I think that would be fair to say. I guess I was asking if it's possible. For the market to be manipulated in crypto. Right, right. I mean, again, these are two separate unrelated markets. I mean, so there isn't a spot Bitcoin ETF uh, that that's mm-hmm. being traded publicly. Uh, there is just the futures. So therefore, they're totally separate. So mm-hmm. since Bitcoin, like I said, is not regulated by any entity, is there is it possible that the Bitcoin price is now going to be even, there's more incentive to manipulate the Bitcoin price? I don't know if there's more incentive necessarily. I mean, I suppose you can like hypothesize a, a, a circumstance where that's the case. But to answer your, your initial question, like very simply, yes, it's, it's certainly possible to manipulate the crypto market, just like it's possible to manipulate any other crypto market, which is why the SEC is is so concerned about the risks of market manipulation, but not just in crypto, in, in any market. I think it's it's a chief concern for regulators. Moving back over to other Bitcoin futures ETFs. Look, I think that, um, and get, I'm off the top of my head right now, it was an Invesco that pulled their Bitcoin futures ETF the day that ProShares Bitcoin futures ETF launched. Is that correct? So yeah, that's that is actually true. Um, Invesco pulled the plug on on its Bitcoin futures ETF application. That happened basically hours before the ProShares um, start. The ProShares fund started um, trading on on the New York Stock Exchange. So yeah, that's true. But the ProShares uh, futures Bitcoin ETF, the ticker BITO, it was super successful. It's the second biggest uh, ETF launch in history at almost a billion dollars, only second to BlackRock's ETF, if I'm correct, which was like about $1.1 billion. Why would Invesco want to pull their futures ETF? Well, I think to, to echo what you've just said, it was immensely successful. The only other, well, only one American ETF has has hit a billion dollars on its first day of trading. And that was the Black that was BlackRock's carbon transition readiness ETF. And I think that happened back in April of this year. 
And Invesco, well, what Invesco said uh, when they decided not to immediately pursue their application was, and I'll, I'll just read out a quote here. We have determined not to pursue the launch of a Bitcoin futures ETF in the immediate near term. The firm just added as well that it's going to carry on with its Galaxy Digital Partnership. Yeah, I think it'd be interesting to see if they if they return to their application. But um, right now, I think everybody has sort of taken stock over the fact that the ProShares ETF has been the first one to come to town. You know, as I said, not to repeat myself too much, but it's it, it is clearly a very big moment for the crypto industry. So now today we have a second Bitcoin futures ETF that launched. It's a mm-hmm. Valkyrie uh, ETF, uh, same thing as Bitcoin futures. And now we're going to see another maybe couple of Bitcoin futures ETF uh, launch in the next days or a week of, of uh, you know, moving into November. Uh, first mm-hmm. of all, I guess my question here is, is how does that process work? The way that I understand it is that the application goes into the SEC. The SEC has 75 days to uh, review the application. And if they do not block the application, then or block the launch of the ETF, they the ETF just can go live because they're just like, okay, well, it looks okay. So we're not going to say anything about it. You guys can do it. And that's what's happening is these this time is elapsing. So which is allowing these other ETFs to go onto the market. Is, is that what's happening? And also, how do you think that these other ETFs, futures ETFs are going to perform? You've hit the nail on the head. Basically, what, what that's called is a negative consent model. So unless the SEC um, raises a concern or an objection, then the ETF can, can list, basically. That's not quite the same when it comes to spot ETFs. They actually require an affirmative approval from the SEC, but we're, we're talking about futures ETFs here. Um, so I think that's important to point out. But um, yeah, and in terms of you know how, how other ETFs, you know provided other ETFs uh, get to list, how, how will they perform? If the ProShares ETF is anything to go by, well, then it stands to reason that they'll do quite well. But again, at the end of the day, that would ultimately be speculative from my, from my part. It, it seems only natural that a spot ETF should be approved this year. It seems almost irresponsible to have a futures ETF without a spot ETF. Am I wrong with thinking that? I don't necessarily think it's it's it would be irresponsible. I mean, I, I think it's an assumption that we'll see a lot that because we're seeing futures ETFs coming to play now, we'll, we'll see spot ETFs down the line. And that that isn't, I suppose, an unreasonable position to hold. But I think that the the one nuance here that I would say is that the SEC is fairly comfortable with the futures market because that's already regulated. So I think there's a there's a that, that's a bit of a, a blessing um, that works in the favor of the ProShares futures ETF and the Valkyrie one as well. So um, yeah, it's it's it, it'll be interesting to see if a spot ETF gets approved as well down the line. Again, we've talked about how the futures market is already regulated by the CTFC, but the futures market is already regulated. And I think the SEC is just a little bit more um, comfortable with the futures ETF at this moment, really. I think that's fair to say. Last question about the ETFs. I know everybody's just loving this conversation about all kinds of futures ETFs. Um, last question about the ETF is why so many and what is it actually doing? Uh, first, like we're going to see all these new futures ETFs roll out. Do you need that many? And an ETF, the way that I understand it is a futures ETF. It's just gambling. It literally is gambling on the stock market on a price of something. Is, is Am I correct with that? Um, well, I guess it, to, to break down exactly what uh, a futures ETF does, like the, the, the big difference is that a spot ETF is, is, is pegged to the price of the underlying asset. So in this instance, Bitcoin, right? And that's what most people want. A futures ETF in terms of obviously the ProShares one and the Valkyrie one, that's, that's different because what you get are not shares that are backed by Bitcoin, but shares that are tied to contracts that allow you to purchase Bitcoin at a future date. In terms of your question as to how many... How, how many we need, I don't think 
there's um, necessarily a cap number on that. Of course, there's. I would say it's it's fair that there's a, a first mover advantage. Again, if there's if there's a demand for this industry to grow, it will just grow. We also had some other interesting articles that came out this week and other interesting news. Uh, you you wrote an article just today, which I, I you know there's a certain <laughs> familiar person uh, mentioned in there. Uh, Pro crypto Congress candidates push for easier crypto donations. Uh, tell us what's going on with that. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm, perhaps you could tell us more to be honest, but I think it's a it's an interesting story about how congressional hopefuls in the states are trying to really, in a sense, pivot to the crypto industry and facilitate an ease of passage for their donors and their supporters to donate using cryptocurrencies. In a sense, it's a bit of a sign of the times. You've already seen some congressional hopefuls, yourself included, um, that that say that cryptocurrency, you know, deserves its place in 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 the future of finance. And this, I think, is just the the latest step in in that narrative. So first, I want to just say that uh, thanks for picking up this article. It was uh, originally written by Business Insider. They wrote a couple articles on crypto, pro crypto candidates or candidates trying to take cryptocurrency uh, for their campaigns. And so what we're seeing as congressional uh, candidates, um, uh, let me back this up. There are laws of what, where you can take money from uh, when it comes to running for office uh, in the United States, uh, depending on what office you, you run for, uh, if it's federal or, or local or state or or there's different laws that you have to follow when it comes to campaign fundraising. So when you look at campaign fundraising, uh, you have to do a couple of things. And it's just basically like KYC, AML in the crypto space. You have to know your person who's donating funds to your campaign. And so that's one thing you have to do. And the other things that you have to do is only in there's contribution limits. You can only, somebody, an individual only can donate so much money uh, to your campaign. And so uh, people who work in the space like myself or have been involved or people who are, you know, pushing for Bitcoin adoption or, or crypto advocation or innovation or any kind of emerging technology, we would like to go to the, the crypto space and say, hey, uh, we are advocating for this industry. Would you please donate to our campaign? And a way for us to look at that is to you know accept Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies. And well, the there is two basically uh, monopolies on campaign donations. For the Republicans, it's called WinRed. And for the Democrats, it's ActBlue. And so they they have not integrated cryptocurrency uh, donations to their sites yet. So if you want to support the industry, if you want to take cryptocurrencies for your campaign, you have to look at other plugins or other ways to do that. BitPay is one of the ones that uh, have been going out to try to talk to candidates and figure out how to work with their campaigns to take cryptocurrencies. Uh, and they've been making a separate option, uh, but it's not in this one like comfortable place that a lot of congressional candidates use. So they, you have to have two different integrations into your campaign. The other thing is, is there's a lot of questions. And I think that uh, one thing I would love to you know just tell you about, because I think this is interesting and whoever's listening, is there's a lot of questions about the legality or the way that you take cryptocurrencies um, when, when it comes to and how you, how you handle the, the funds that you get. For example, let's just say, Scott, Let's just assume that you're American or you have your green card holder and you donate $2,900 in Bitcoin to our, to our campaign. What can I do with that? Can I huddle it? I know we're in a bull run. Bitcoin could go to $100,000. Everybody's saying plan B says $135,000 by year's end. Now, if, I'm, if I want to have more money for my campaign, can I take that and hold and huddle it and then cash it out at, at a later date? We don't know. And now, let's just say we do do that. You give us the maximum donation limit for an individual. That's $2,900. But then I cash it out at $5,800. Does mm-hmm. that, did you just donate over the limit? Now, let's just say if I made that gain on that uh, donation, it's $2,900 and plus another $2,900 uh, gain on it. Do I have to pay taxes on it? There's no guidelines or no guidance 
on when we have to cash it out or how we are able to use the funds. It's an interesting conversation that hasn't been flushed out on a, on a re- regulatory level, even though people are trying to support the crypto industry by accepting Bitcoin. Uh, Mm -hmm. There's still a lot of very opaque guidance on what we actually can do with the Bitcoin. So most of our campaigns are now just once we get it, we just convert it straight into dollars and put it into our bank account and and then use our campaign funds as we we would any other donation because we Mm -hmm. don't want to be in violation of any ethics laws. Yeah. I mean, I think that when, you know, when when I started thinking about this earlier today, those were the questions that popped into my mind. What it's it's, a, it's an obvious point, but Bitcoin is an extremely volatile asset, and we've just seen earlier this week that it hit its all time high. So, what what are the the regulatory sort of consequences slash ramifications of of big crypto donate? They don't even have to be big; it can be a small crypto donation. But what happens when the value of that donation has either gone up or gone down? Um, you know, a day or two after it's been made, and I think that. As you say, and as you very clearly pointed out, the regulatory sort of framework for those for those political actions are, are, are not clear yet. I also think there's a, and this is slightly off the mark, but uh, it, it also reminded me of something that we discussed on the podcast a few weeks back about how members of the far right have been using cryptocurrencies to stay financially relevant too. And I wonder if there's a, 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 a narrative or a, a tension, let's say, politically speaking in the States about using cryptocurrencies um, when there has been evidence that they've been used for, let's just say, as an umbrella term, bad actors. Um, of course, there's no, you know, no, bad actors don't have an, a monopoly on cryptocurrencies. I'm not saying that, but I think that that's another interesting sort of caveat to this discussion, that when we've seen them being used in a high-profile political way before, it's not always necessarily been a positive thing. So I think that, that that's an interesting uh, another layer to this conversation. That's a really good point. Um, when you talk about who's using the Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies to take donations or who's advocating for it, because and I am just gonna make this as a general statement. The way that I look at it is like a narrative can get hijacked by a certain uh, party very easily or, and it becomes that party's identity. For example, Elizabeth Warren talking about how Bitcoin is bad for the environment and how it's a disaster. Uh, that is making the narrative for the Democrat Party of what Bitcoin is. And honestly, a lot of people in the Democratic Party are looking at it as global innovation or innovation that America can, America, because obviously we're running for office in America, even though I know you're mm-hmm. in the UK, but America can seize and make and be the hub of that innovation. Um, and so does that make us, you know, against the party's lines because this narrative has now come out first from, you know, a very high ranking uh, senator uh, that mm-hmm. Bitcoin is bad in, 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 in essence. Um, mm-hmm. And while at the other people, by the other side, for example, the narrative from the Republicans and a lot of Republicans is, well, we need to protect our money. Interest is theft uh, and Bitcoin maybe could fix this. And so they have already took that narrative. And so mm-hmm. it's interesting that we're not talking about the, the good or the innovation of, of the or the jobs that Bitcoin can create as a gen, in general as, uh, you know, as a mm-hmm. country or as even regions, you know, in Ohio, can I get my Bitcoin mining or my Bitcoin innovators or these startup companies or sandboxes in, in Ohio? Uh, but it's just taking over this kind of identity on, on one side or the other of what Bitcoin is. And mm-hmm. that's, I think, what we're trying to say in general is like how it just got taken over and in, in, in the narratives that are behind that. Or, you know, again, like you said, money or crypto for criminals, right? Yeah. yeah. And I mean, just, to, just to, to segue as well off of what you mentioned about Elizabeth Warren, I think her, an equivalent in the same weight class would be Ted Cruz, who's actually um, really bullish on cryptocurrencies. And it seems as though his statements have sort of made the Republican Party not de facto pro-Bitcoin. I don't think it's that far, but I think that they're Somebody as, as, as prominent as Elizabeth Warren or Ted Cruz in their respective political camps has laid, have laid out, like you say, a, a road for the party to follow. 
Um, and it would be interesting to see if there's more, you know, if, if infighting comes from that, because I know that, you know, not to put words in your mouth, but it's pretty fair to say that you wouldn't necessarily agree with everything Elizabeth Warren has said about Bitcoin. Stop me if that's not fair, but I think that's probably reasonable to say that. And it'd be interesting to see how Democrats negotiate that potential difference in outlook on Bitcoin. And you know, the same would be true for Republicans. Ted Cruz is, is, is really high on Bitcoin. I just remember, obviously, you know, President Trump, former President Trump rather, is, you know, thought that Bitcoin was a scam. And I'm sure there are other Republicans that that think the same way as Trump rather than Cruz. So it'd be interesting to see where where the chips fall in the next year or two. I, I do think that, that it's just interesting that, you know, the leaders of parties or the I guess the higher profile people of parties uh, create the narrative of what is important in the positions that the party is going to take on something that's, I guess, as robust and rich as the cryptocurrency or blockchain or Bitcoin industry, uh, that it can't can't just be put into a silo of energy consumption because, well, you know, we understand that there's a whole slew of different things uh, going on in the space. It can't be just, you know, um, you know, the colonial pipeline ransomware because, well, that is a, a, something that happened and they use cryptocurrency for that. But that is just a smidgen of all the different UK use cases that are coming out there. And at the same time, you know, those are some things that we do have to talk about when it comes to cryptocurrency. But it, the, the silos that are created by, you know, the high profile people of what to think about it from party is, is it a very interesting conversation. Now, you're right. We're gonna have to see how this plays out in the future. Mm. Well, absolutely. But, it's going to be interesting. Finally, just to wrap this up, man, what do you see that's coming out going to be coming out next week in our news? For one, I'll, st- I'll take a step back. I think that we'll still be discussing the impact of, of the ProShares ETF and the Valkyrie ETF as well, and any others that may that may come to the fore between now and then. Um, I think that that's been a, a huge discussion in the in the crypto sphere, and I think uh, you know, a, a, I suppose I should say a large chunk or a major narrative within that discussion has been you know America's regulatory approach to crypto um which has always been an interesting discussion for me i think it's been it's been something that, that the crypto industry generally has been looking at for the last few months um so i think that 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 will likely dominate headlines i think if there's been a, as as always if there's a major price shift with bitcoin or ethereum or any other cryptocurrency then that will dominate the news too but i think that for the time being given the fact that etfs are sort of the focus i think that that will for the short term i think at least continue scott civilina as always a pleasure to talk to you and do a week in review with you sir thanks matthew thank you thank you for listening to this episode of the decrypt daily my name is matthew deemer don't forget to go to apple Podcasts, like subscribe share and leave us a comment and until our weekend update happy hodling everyone see you tomorrow Scott Chipolina, how you doing? Welcome to the show. <laughs> what the? F- it's so funny, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> okay, wait. Let's sing it out. <laughs> okay. You get the okay. giggles. I'm happy you don't have this on like Yahoo Finance <laughs> News or something. <laughs> You've given it. I mean, there's so many videos on YouTube of people cracking on live TV. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. We can start now. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. <laughs> All right. Are you sure? I'm good. I'm good. I'm All right. fucking... Scott, Scott Cipollina, how you doing? Welcome this week to the Weekend Review. How you doing? I'm good, Matthew. Thanks for having me. 100%, man. We had a big week this week. And, you know, who better to come on and talk about it is no, no. no. <laughs> this is a hard one today, man. I don't know what's going on. I was over it and how you sent me right back. Oh, fuck. Lost All right. Off. Focus. Focus. Oh.